This episode is sponsored by ContentFind, a premium video editing and content repurposing service for busy content creators, influencers, brands, podcasters, YouTubers, and marketers. ContentFi provides unlimited end-to-end editing and repurposing services to help you get your video and audio content edited and repurposed quickly, easily, and reliably. Join other busy content creators, founders, brands, and marketers who now spend even more time creating while they take care of the rest. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing anymore. Just create content, build your audience, and grow your business. If you're a content creator looking to save time and money, or looking to outsource your content marketing team, get your first free video edited now at contentfi.co. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast, or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS dash podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how a serial entrepreneur has bootstrapped three successful companies and is now helping creative entrepreneurs make a living doing what they love. Today, we have our guest, Spencer Fry, joining us. Spencer is the founder and CEO of Podia, which is a platform with one of the most creator-friendly tools that can help you sell online courses, digital downloads, membership subscriptions, and more. Spencer is a serial entrepreneur and has been, has been all his life. He, counted, he co-founded three bootstrap companies, Typefrag, Carbon Made, and Uncover, which we'll talk about today. And he also specializes in building consumer products, helping entrepreneurs, and understanding businesses. And on a personal level, he loves cooking and playing squash. So welcome, Spencer. Super excited to have you on the show today. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So we always like to start off, uh, you know, what's your personal background? What's your story? And how, what, was, what happened with your past ventures? Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So I have a, it's a really long story, but I'll keep it uh, fairly brief. Uh, so I am now about to turn 37 years old. I started working on like start a uh, little startups here and there, little projects uh, when I was 11 years old. So basically, throughout high school, um, I just started making money online with various different ventures, and then I got really serious with it um, in college. That's where I started um, Typefrag, which was my first sort of big success. Grew from zero MR, MRR to 100,000 in MRR in under a month, uh, which was a crazy, crazy rocket ship for us. Um, and I actually had two employees during college, which was really crazy. Um, and then I sold that business after school, started another one. So the first online portfolio uh, company called uh, Carbon Made, ran that for about four or five years, sold that. Uh, started a smaller project, ran that for about a year and a half, and I sold that. And now I'm working on uh, Podia for the last six and a half years. And uh, don't s- think I'm going to sell it anytime soon. I love working on it. We're profitable, doing really well, helping lots of people as well. So crazy right. history. So, <laughs> so you you had two six or three those three you know those exits, and then yep. you decide to continue moving forward uh, with those other ones. You bootstrapped, right? If I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. And I was actually planning to bootstrap this company as well. Um, But about a year into it, uh, I just had 
beers with an investor in Brooklyn uh, at an outdoor beer garden. And he was basically like, what are you working on? I was like, Oh, this is a little project I'm working on. And then uh, within two weeks, he had actually sent me a term sheet. And uh, you know, a couple of weeks after that, we had signed a deal. And I hadn't even been planning to raise money, but uh, happy I did actually. <laughs> and then so it was, it was a good decision you find versus like, you know, the, the other times where you bootstrap completely, do you find it made a difference in, you know, you know, accelerating the, the, the business or any, any kind of how you're able to grow? Yeah. Yeah. It helped a lot. So I think those early businesses we're talking, you know, the first one was in 2002. The second was in 2005, 2006. Um, it was just a lot easier to kind of, uh, show yourself in the market, get customers. Cause you know, there's a lot less competition and I don't really talk about necessarily competition with competitors specifically, but just nowadays, there's just so many products, so many services, so many platforms, so many apps that you're sort of yeah. fighting for attention everywhere. And the great thing about having money you know, from, from investors is that you can take more time, but you can also spend the, those resources on hiring great designers, hiring great marketing people, hiring great developers. Um, and you just need that these days. Whereas like in 2002, you could put up like a okay website and still get a lot of traffic and customers, but just, you know, the bar is much higher these days. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Um, and then can you talk a little bit more in depth about, you know, when you found Podia, you started as a solo founder and from what I remember correctly, your, all your previous ventures, you've had a co-founder. Um, how did you decide, you know, come up with the idea and what was the problem you were looking to solve when you decided to found it yourself? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've had co-founders in all my previous startups, um, which, you know, went fairly well, but obviously co-founders have challenges. Um, you know, it's either going to go really well for you or you're going to disagree with your co-founders and it's going to be, you know, uh, a difficult path. Um, but with this one, I really wanted to sort of start it on my own and really take on the entire burden of, you know, the design, the development, the product, the marketing, all those early things. Um, mm -hmm. And I wanted to sort of take on that challenge. And fortunately, I had like enough money in the bank from my previous exits to be able to do that. Uh, so it's been it's been great. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to be a solo, uh, solo entrepreneur. And I was talking to someone yesterday that has co-founders um, and they're actually having like tons of issues with their co-founders. So some days I'm super happy to just be working by myself. Um, but, you know, you need a great team around you. So that's what I've made sure to do. Hire a lot of great people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've had, you know, I think everybody's had those stories of, you know, bringing on the wrong co-founder at the wrong time. And I, I agree, you know, sometimes you just have to you know, maybe it's just paying a little bit more and hiring the right person and, you know, with more experience. And maybe sometimes you need that person just with that experience to bounce ideas off and you can trust to maybe handle bigger tasks, right? Yeah. And my, uh, my current CMO is kind of that person for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, he and I talk pretty much daily. <laughs> um, and, you know, we have like weekly standing meetings, that sort of thing. And he's sort of my confidant um, and like basically a de facto co-founder in a lot of ways. Mm. So if you can hire for it, I guess, I guess that maybe that's a mistake a lot of people make initially is because they feel like, you know, we've got to do this together. It's a cheap way to basically find that, that person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, but if you're fortunate enough to, you know, be able to raise a little bit of money and we didn't raise a ton in that first mm -hmm. round, we raised about a uh, half a million dollars. Um, you can use that money to hire great people um, as opposed to having to give up like 50% of the equity of the company um, from day one if you have one co-founder or like 66% if you have two co-founders, etc. So it's a lot less dilutive if you can make it work. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Cool. So, you know, tell us about Sapodio. Uh, you know, you, you, what was the idea you're looking to solve at that point? And how does it differentiate from some of the other platforms for courses and learning, uh, you know, Patreon, Teachable, Thinkific? You know, there's a bunch of them out there. How, what were you looking to do differently? 
So when I when I originally started, um, you know, I had seen a lot of the early online course market. Um, for one thing, both my parents are college professors um, at Yale University, and my dad actually had one of the first online courses ever offered by a university, um, and it's had millions and millions of views on YouTube, and he still gets like daily emails from students. Uh, so this was back, I think, in like 2011, 2012, and I just got fascinated with this idea of you know being around education my whole life. This idea that you could put up videos, you could put up uh, like text lessons, you can put up audio, etc., and you can build this great experience for people from all over the world to take part of. Um, so you know, my dad constantly gets emails from people in China and Asia and everywhere. Um, so early on, I saw it, and then when I was running Carbon Made, one of my previous startups, um, Skillshare was actually renting two desks from us. So the original two co-founders of Skillshare were working out of our office. Um, and so I got to see kind of what they were doing with like this marketplace for online courses. Um, and then I spent most of the last 10 years of my life as a, as a mentor for lots of different entrepreneurs. So I think all three of those things kind of came together um, to sort of interest me in the space. And then I began to think about like the product and what I'd like to build. And the thing that I saw in the market was that there wasn't a single platform for creators and entrepreneurs um, to do everything all in one place. And that's what I started to build on. Um, in terms of how we compare to competitors, so we have lots of different competitors and different verticals. We have competitors in online courses and memberships and community and email and affiliate and all this sort of thing. But we're really the only platform that does all of these things in one one place for a low price, um, and you get a lot of advantages for that because you know having everything in one place. Like I send an email, I can track the sales data. You know, I have my affiliate marketing. It just makes it a lot simpler, and you don't have to duct tape everything together with like Zapier, for example. Right. So your your, your kind of mission is more on you know low cost, uh, but you know all in one solution. Is kind of how you, yeah. you look at it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, so we could charge a lot more <laughs> than what yeah, we're definitely. charging right now. I mean, we could charge yeah. like three, four, or five times what we charge. Um, and, you know, we have some customers that are like, I'm saving three, four thousand dollars a year, you know, using your, your platform. Um, but sort of our goal is really to keep the barrier to entry low because I think like, you know, if you're just starting out as a creator, you don't want to necessarily take on like $150 or $200 a month in costs. So that's why we keep it really low, like as an intro plan for like $39 a month. Yeah, I, I saw that. I thought that was pretty impressive that you guys were able to offer such a low plan when you compared to the other guys who are, you know, closer to $100 a month. So good for you. For yeah. For letting alone that. <laughs> um, so I read in one of your articles, I think it was with Growth Ramp. Growth Ramp uh, you mentioned that Podia is fluid but your mission remains. So what, uh, you know, talking about, you know, finding product market fit, you decide to pivot from coach to podia. What's kind of your approach on how you, you keep that, you know, fluidity and, and, you know, still staying true to your mission while, by still making changes to your business model? Yeah. So when I, when I first started the company, um, the goal was to build an online all-in-one platform, but you, you know, you have to start somewhere. <laughs> so we started with online courses and then, you know, you, it's sometimes beneficial to focus on a market. So we started with online courses and we focused on, um, tutors and teachers and people mm -hmm. that were sort of doing this currently in person and trying to get them to start selling online and, and, you know, uh, avoid having to take like Ubers to, you know, meet students and stuff like that. Like just do it online. Um, so we started with more of a um, teaching focused market. And then we rebranded from Coach, uh, which was never a name I really liked, <laughs> uh, to Podia about three and a half years ago. And we just, and it just kind of opened up 
the the marketing. And so now it's for any type of creator. Um, and that's sort of like the story there. It wasn't necessarily like a pivot. It was just more of like responding to what the market was telling us. Um, and our, the market was telling us that there are all lots of different types of creators. You don't necessarily need to be a teacher or a tutor to sell products online. And when I talk about fluidity, like one of the core values for us is that um, we, we kind of view the market as ever evolving in the creator space. And we don't want to be tied into uh, our customers only being able to sell like online courses. So that's why we've added like downloads and memberships and webinars and different types of things that creators might want to sell. So fluid, fluid in the sense that we're always looking and keeping our eye on the market and adapting to letting creators sell different types of products, depending on what the market is demanding. Mm. So, you know, you've had three different ventures and I assuming this skill set probably, you know, got, got developed over time after build, you know, this, this many years, you know, <laughs> the early stages, you have so many directions, you have so many, you know, feedback and points to work from and you get easily to get distracted, shiny object syndrome, let's do this, let's try that. How do you now, you know, constantly ensure you stay, you know, on, on the mission track and stay focused. Do you have any tools or suggestions there? Yeah, I actually uh, just had a tweet storm about this uh, oh, cool. a couple of days ago. But I, um, the way that I think about building product is I look um, at the impact of a feature. And um, when I how I define impact is like what percentage of our customers are going to find value or be excited about this release. And I really try to focus on mostly high impact features. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily need to be something that's big. It could be something that's really small, but that has a high impact to all of our customers and creators. So I think one of the things I was talking about in the, in the tweets form was basically like a lot of founders and product people are constantly worrying about like the little bits of polish and like those little uh, moments that actually don't really matter that much or maybe kind of only affect you know 1% of your customer base or 5% of your customer base whereas i try to do only things that will affect you know 70% or at least 65% of our customer base so that's what i've been kind of learned over time is that you know none of the other things really matter that much um, yeah. but uh, you also have to look at impact like what is the time to develop that feature? Because it could be like 90% impact, but take a year. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes you need to think about like things that are maybe 65% impact, but only take like a month. And so it's just kind of like, uh, you know, mm. building blocks of Legos and just trying to do little basic math around that. Um, nice. That's sort of my system. Do, so do you have like a ranking system? Like, and how often do you build that out? Like, so you have okay, these 10 initiatives that came up and now you say, okay, it's high impact, uh, you know, and then how much resources it needs. And then you rank them and say, okay, let's do these three for the next quarter. Or what, what, how, do you, yeah, how do you look at that? Pretty much at the start of every year. So I build a product strategy doc that I share with the whole product team and actually everyone on the team in December. And that's sort of like, the, so for example, 2021 product strategy. Um, and that sort of lists out all the very high impact goals that we build throughout the year. And sort of rank them loosely because, you know, um, there might be three or four different things that have high impact. But like depending on who's available for, you know, uh, development or like, you know, what resources we have available, they sort of shift a little bit. But yeah, I definitely try to focus on only those really high impact things. Um, but then every quarter we come back and we sort of revisit it and we think about, okay, what is high impact today? So back to that fluidity comment earlier, you know, the, the, the roadmap we start the year with is never the roadmap we end the year with. So every quarter we're always constantly evolving and changing. 
Nice, nice, makes sense. Um, so from what I, what I last seen, you guys have been growing at a pretty good pace for a while now. Uh, so even you know during these strange times with COVID, would you say that you know COVID has been an accelerant to your growth, or did you say kind of a more of a negative effect on on your growth plans of what you expected? Uh, you know, maybe last year. So it's been a major accelerant for us. Um, you know, I think similar to Shopify and other e-commerce platforms, where it's as we knew this was going to happen. It just was a question of when. Um, and I think, like you know, sh- I think Toby, the Shopify CEO, said is basically three years <laughs> um, compacted into one year. And I think that's kind of how we feel in terms of the growth. So some of the growth that we hit this year is like things we were projecting for like a year or two out. Um, so yeah, we've really, really seen a big bump. Um, but the really good thing is that it's not only that we see a bump, like our customers are seeing huge bumps. So people that maybe were like dabbling and selling online are now, you know, forced to do all their selling online and they're having a better life from it. They're actually making more money because, you know, you don't have to just teach that person like say you're a yoga instructor, you don't have to just yeah. meet that person at the, at the studio. You can now like open up your your yoga fitness classes to anyone in the um, entire world. Like my wife actually just took a yoga class yesterday from a woman in Germany. So I'm um, using our platform. So it's super cool. That, that is pretty cool. So obviously I imagine there's a lot more creatives trying to now build their, their online course, their online business, you know, more last year. Can, can you share any trends or industries or other data where, you know, what, what makes a successful program and what have you seen, you know, for sustainable businesses throughout your platform that have really done well? So, yeah, so the, we have the last time we did, you know, kind of ran the numbers, we had over 200 different categories of types of things that are being sold um, on our platform. And, you know, there's probably even more now. Um, but the most popular ones are, are things like health and wellness, um, things like, Tech technology, and I kind of loop in things like programming, design, uh, you know, re- customer research, stuff like that in the technology bucket, um, and then lots of business stuff. You know, people looking to learn, um, you know, finance or accounting or you know, like all those sorts of uh, types of skills. Um, but we also see lots of like uh, community mastermind groups where it's just like. 10 people together in a membership that talk, you know, every, every week, that sort of thing. So people use it for all different, (laughs) uh, all different sort of categories and niches. But, um, consistently we see health, wellness, business technology is kind of like at least half of our customers. Makes sense. Would you, would you say it has been saturated or is still opportunity there? Definitely not. I mean, it's every single day we see new people join the platform and, and making like, dollars from like within the first few hours. So it's, it's, it's constantly growing. Um, you know, one of the metrics that we track is how many of our creators are earning over a thousand dollars a month. And it's a huge percentage of our customer base. Um, that's you you know, that selling about? courses on, I'm not going to say a specific amount, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely just, I mean, I don't know why not, but like, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a significant amount and it's increasing too. So I think that's important right. that it's not just like a steady value. It's actually mm. increasing over time. Um, because a lot of this stuff really kicks off for people after six months or a year of selling, mm. you know, you, you know, with any business, if you, you know, open up a store or you open up whatever, it's going to take some months to get started. So there are those people that start doing really well from day one, but um, by, you know, month six or, or year one, people start to really uh, blossom. So th- that's probably the sweet spot. If you're, if, if somebody's looking to start an online course, you know, give it, give it that six months to a year to really see the, 
the impact of your, yeah. your work, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially too, when you release that second version of the product, so you have that yeah. online course that, you know, you put up and now you, now you're getting feedback from some of your early customers. So then you're adapting the course by adding additional lessons and, you know, you're working on your sales page and you're adding to all these new testimonials. And so it's just that, you know, that business that's evolving and growing. And then over time, like all that hard work uh, really pays off. Yeah, it makes sense. What are some, uh, you know, you've done this so many times. You you said you mentor and you coach a lot of entrepreneurs as well. Um, and you also see entrepreneurs, on, you know, thousands of them through your platform. Yeah. What would you say are some of the most common mistakes you see founders making, you know, with their startups or maybe areas that they underutilize or, you know, maybe don't pay enough attention, focus to, and, and maybe more for SaaS founders or, or creators either yeah. way. Yeah, I'll speak to SaaS founders. I think one of the things yeah. that I see is that, uh, well, actually a couple things. One, um, I really believe in persistence. And by persistence, I mean like constantly every single day trying to like do that 1% thing that's going to add up over time. And I see a lot of founders that like get very discouraged when, you know, they do something and, and, you know, they don't get a ton of benefit from it. You know, they were expecting a, a thousand new customers and they got five or 10. Um, and my motto and what I always start to tell entrepreneurs is just like, it'll pay off over time and you just have to continue to do little things all the time. That kind of goes to my second point, whereas I see a lot of uh, new founders that take way too long to ship. Um, you know, they try to they try to polish everything. They try to make everything perfect. And you know, the market the market doesn't really care. <laughs> the market just wants you to continue to improve. And eventually, like you'll hopefully uh, catch fire. Um, but you know, no one cares when you have like a brand new site website. You know, no the customer doesn't care. Um, right. You know, just it's just constant improving and just staying in it for the long term. So persistence super, super important. And don't give up. Like things take a while, you know, the first year and a half, two years of our business, we were doing almost zero revenue. Um, and now, you know, we're fully profitable team growing really fast. Yeah. Makes sense. Patience and, and uh, persistence. I love it. Yeah. Um, in terms of growth levers, you know, which helped you kind of grow all your business, do you have any recommendation for other SaaS entrepreneurs, uh, maybe for who have similar markets as you, similar kind of target audience in the B2B kind of B2C space? Uh, what have you seen, you know, work really well for you guys? So um, the really interesting thing about our business, and I think this is true for all businesses, is that the marketing channels change over time. You know, in, the, in those early days, you can do a webinar with, you know, 50 people and, and make enough sales where it actually like moves the needle. Um, so early, early days, we were doing lots of webinars. Um, we, we had an affiliate program that worked pretty well. Um, you know, getting our, our customers to refer to their friends, that sort of thing. Um, you know, getting people to blog about us, create YouTube videos about us, etc. Um, but in the backbone of all of that was our content marketing machine. So we now have five people whose full-time job is to create articles, videos, guides, tutorials, tools, etc. for us. Um, so content marketing has been a big source of uh, customers and leads for us. And that was really important for me uh, when we started that. Uh, about three, four years ago was, you know, SEO and content takes a lot of time. And, you know, this is a build a business that I want to build over the next like 100 years. Um, obviously, I won't be here, but <laughs> over the mm -hmm. next 100 years. So like I needed to establish that really early. And I wanted to be the sort of leading voice uh, for the creator community. So I think like for any mm -hmm. SaaS business, um, content is just killer. Um, and you, but you got to start it early and it can yeah. take, you know, a year or two years to really build up. So that's kind of been mostly where we focus most of our time. 
But in the last few years, we've actually been spending a lot more money on paid marketing. So paid marketing wasn't working for us in the first few years, but now it's a huge source of uh, new leads for us. It makes sense. Have you, uh, have you, what would you say have been, you know, maybe the biggest failures in your growth strategies? I know you mentioned like you've done some product launches, you know, maybe not a failure, but have you done any kind of other experiments that you said, you know, you thought would work and maybe isn't worth it for your business? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I would say um, that one of the important things to do is, you know, the thing that work, didn't work last year could definitely work this year and could definitely work the following year. So we're constantly like retesting on things that haven't worked for us. As example, paid marketing didn't work two years ago for us. Um, so similar things like we launched a podcast, we spent almost $50,000 producing it, did a whole season that really was a bust. <laughs> you really? know, didn't, yeah, I think like we didn't have enough distribution probably. And I think we got under a thousand listens per episode, um, which is, which is fine. But I think we were hoping to at least, you know, maybe break even on it or something like that. Um, so that was something that sort of failed for us a couple of years ago, but I don't necessarily think like, I think we could revisit it in a year or something and maybe it will work. Um, what else? Um, you know, we've had things that, we like, for example, we ran an online conference last year, which more than broke even. Um, but we're really excited about running it again this year and using all the things that we learned from that original conference and making it better and, and you know, hopefully making it even more profitable for us. Um, but yeah, we're you know constantly mm. revisiting every growth strategy. <laughs> no, no, it makes complete sense. Um, and what would you say are some of the biggest challenges right now? You'd say in terms of growing or scaling your uh, Podia. So I think, you know, um, there's a bunch of different ones across, you know, every department um, <laughs> in the products and the development department. The biggest things for us is that, you know, we have a very um, technically complicated product. We've got a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Um, so to continue to make it really simple for our customers to use, um, but also to continue to add additional like features and functionality to it, there's this very big balance that we're having to sort of weigh. Like, you know, we add this new feature that makes the product more complicated, but also makes has higher impact, you know, so there's this big product development um, balance that we're, we're facing right now. Um, but it's been going great. And I think we've sort of we're, we're treading the line very carefully. Um, you know, in terms of sort of more of the business as a whole, you know, we're, we're hiring a bunch of different positions, uh, mostly lots of developers right now. Um, but it, you know, it's hard to find great uh, talent, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> in, in tech is, it's just, it's just difficult. Um, sure. and you know, especially for us, we were a fully remote company since day one and it was very easy for us to differentiate ourselves in the hiring market because like, if you want to work remote, come work for us. Um, but now like every company is remote and exactly. a lot of companies are going full remote. So there's way more competition for job postings. Um, but we have a really great place to work. So we do get a lot of like good applicants. Um, and then on the marketing side, it's really just about, you know, continuing to scale all of our channels um, and, you know, seeing better numbers this quarter than last quarter. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Cool. So if any, anyone's listening and looking for, for a job, you know, reach out to Spencer. They're hiring. Rails developers. <laughs> Rails developers. Awesome. Um, Spencer, uh, kind of shifting gears here, um, you know, kind of rapid fire questions, you know, but answer as you, as you like. Who or what are, would you say, three of the best resources uh, that could be books and or people like uh, mentors or people you follow? Would you say have been instrumental to your success over the last few years? So, um they're mostly going to be people that I just know in person. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, like, I can't share the resources. Uh, <laughs> Do I have a, any books? Well, yeah, I mean, both, both of Ben Horwitz's books I've 
loved. Um, yeah. You know, they they are more for you know larger companies, but I think you can learn a lot of like tactical information. And I think one of the things I, I think about all the time from his books are this uh, wartime versus peacetime CEO stuff. Um, okay. But so I would definitely check those out. Um, they're both great as audiobooks. Um, but yeah, so in terms of like about the hard things, right? That's one of them. What was the other one? The yeah, hard that's, about the hard that's one. And then there's like there's one around culture. Um, that's really important um, for, I think that's one of the big things that we care a lot about is culture. And I think getting culture right early on is super, super important. Um, But mostly like my resources tend to, so I have a CEO coach um, who I talk to about once a month and she's great. Um, She sort of helps me through a lot of like, you know, talk through a lot of different challenges. Um, And then I have entrepreneurs that I've known for, you know, 10, 15 years in New York city, um, which is where I mostly mostly live. Um, who you know I talk to and text with every single day. You know, share questions, comments, thoughts, and then every once in a while, um, or not every once in a while, but every quarter, we have a board meeting, and so like I meet with my investors and share thoughts and questions there as well. But mostly just mm-hmm. years and years of experience. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, anybody else you follow? Like I don't know on Twitter, anybody you really like and, and maybe you look up to right now? Or I mean, I I don't really. Uh, I'm not like a big tech celebrity follower type. <laughs> you know, I, I have I have lots of respect for like Steve Jobs, uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, like those sorts of big iconic figures. And I, I do really like all the things that they've done for for you know the world. Um, but I don't really necessarily follow like single founders mm-hmm. or, or things like that. Um, I kind of care more about like products in the market, like, oh I love this product. So you know that sort of thing. Uh, unless yeah. it's kind of the, the person behind the behind the scenes. Fair, fair enough. Um, so a couple of exits, you know, doing really well right now, profitable, good team, building something for the long term. What does success mean to to you today, Spencer? Whether it's personally, financially, business, there's no, there's no right answer. So I think for me, it's honestly, it's just being happy with what I do. <laughs> That's that is success. Um, you know, we we spend so much time uh, at work and working on various things, and I there's nothing I'd rather be doing. Like I think you could offer me lots of money today to sell and and I wouldn't be interested because I just love working with our customers. I love working with my team. You know, I've never worked with a better team in my entire life. I've never worked on a better problem in my entire life. Um, you know, I love the idea of um, helping make helping make helping people make money online. Like I think that's awesome. That's kind yeah. of where I started, you know, when I was 11 years old. Um, so I'm loving I'm loving life right now. Um, I'm loving the product. I'm loving how we get better every day. Um, so yeah, happiness is kind of the thing that drives me these days as an older man. <laughs> nice. So you're 30, 37 li- soon. <laughs> yeah, you still got a long way. So you're still yeah. you're living the life of success as as you are doing right now. I mean you're building you're you're creating an impact, which you know I admire and I appreciate. So you know, thank yeah, you for and that. Yeah. For what it's worth, I mean, the first two years, maybe even three years, were terrible. You know, <laughs> like so, you know, uh, you know, so stressed out. Um, you know, like eating all my feelings. Um, like, you know, just just a terrible, terrible grind in those early years. But you know, once you get over that hill, um, you know, the the future is bright. How do you? I mean, maybe that's a question to ask there. How do you? you know, stay motivated in those early times where you're not seeing those results, you know, because you need that little fuel of, you know, feedback, growth, uh, you know, that hit of, of dopamine, you know, seeing that your, your yeah. work is worth it, right? Um, in those stages where like, you're not seeing the traction you like, how do you, how do you stay, you know, on track? Or do you say, ah, oh, like, I, I need to, I need to do something else here. So for me, it's, it's kind of going back to that principle we talked about earlier. It's just like persistence. Like, I really believe that as long as you're 
in the market long enough um, and you're continuing to improve every single day, like you're going to make it. I mean, your success, you may not build Google, uh, but maybe you build a business that's like, you know, feeds your family. Um, But in terms of like keeping me motivated, just like we'd sign up a new customer and they'd start paying and they'd send a, you know, we had live chat, they'd send a live chat message saying how this was so cool and like they really loved it and all this stuff. And I think like those little moments, you just have to cherish them. Um, the only thing, the only problem about that in the early days is that you might, you know, get a customer the next day that's like, this sucks. I want all my money back, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So that's like deeply depressing. I, I never do that ever to any other uh, founders or products. I, I'm always the nicest customer because I know <laughs> how it feels on the other, on, their, on the other end for someone to like rip you apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, leaning mm-hmm. on my now wife and like my friends um, was also very helpful. Love it. Yeah, that's that's super important to have that kind of network of, of people to rely on. Um, cool. Uh, Spencer, what, what are your future plans for Podia for the rest of this year? And where can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about what you're working on? Yeah, sure. So um, we've got a lot of different plans. I think the biggest thing is that we're, you know, from a product perspective, we're continuing to build out our site editor. Um, it's already a really fantastic tool, but we just want to make our sites even more and more customizable. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of our customers giving up their WordPress sites, their Squarespace sites, etc., to just run their entire business on our platform. So we just want to make it that tool just easier for them to customize and use. Um, and then we've got a bunch of different. We've got a bunch of surprises coming, so I'm not gonna not gonna spoil them right now. Um, but some really really cool things coming uh, this spring slash summer, um, and then yeah, like you know, just continue to hire and grow the team, make sure we have a good culture and all those things. So really excited about the future. Cool. And uh, where can our audience get in touch with you? Uh, so mostly on Twitter. That's kind of where I uh, use the most. But Twitter.com/slash Spencer Fry F R Y. Um, and then I also have a website, spencerfry.com, which I used to blog a lot and I still do a couple times a year, but mostly I just do tweet storms. <laughs> nice. Nice. Awesome. We'll uh, add those links to our show notes for people to check you out and, and hit you up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate it, Spencer. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.